0: Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Ken Simpson. I'm one of the Assistant Ministers here. It's good to see you here with us tonight, even if it's very warm. Sometimes we, in the middle of winter, we talk about us being God's frozen people. We are not that tonight, are we? When I saw uh, Owen earlier, I really, really wished I'd worn my shorts and let me say you are really, really blessed that I didn't. Um, Let me encourage you to have your Bibles open in front of you. Uh, We'll be looking in in reasonable detail at some of those, uh, some of these passages that we've been looking at tonight and so to have it open, because I want you to look at it and refer to it, will be great. Uh, We've already asked God to help us whenever we come to the Word of God, it's a spiritual thing that we're doing as God speaks and so we need God's God's help through His Spirit to open our hearts and minds. Now, I am sure that you have thought a lot about your name. Nearly everybody does at some stage stage or another. Well, there are traditions around names. My sister's middle name is Edith. And her name is Edith because my paternal grandmother's name was Edith. I remember when I was practising this last night, I kept saying grandfather. It was a bit embarrassing. Uh, In many Chinese families, the grandparents choose the names. and, And they have... They have real meaning. They're supposed to bring luck or success or talk about prosperity or something like that. Then there are the names that you may or you may not like. My nickname in high school was Frog. Not because they thought I was a prince in disguise, but because they thought my face was like a frog. Blacktown boys were never noted for their subtlety and kindness Now, perhaps, thinking about things like that, some of you have memories like that. It's a little bit painful or maybe even a little bit fun. You might have liked your your names. But they, they matter to us because names matter. What we are called matters. There are meaningful names as well. I called my daughter Erin Joy because Erin means peace and joy means, well, surprisingly joy. And that's what she's brought to me for the last 34 years. Well, Isaiah introduces us to four names and we're going to do a, little, a bit of a big run through chapters 7 through 9, but we're only going to look at the names and a couple of other verses. We'll look at each one and seeing what difference they make to them and to the people of God and to Israel and finally to us. The first name belongs to Isaiah's own son. Now, if you open up chapter 7, verse 3, it's important to have your Bibles open Have a look at what it says. His name is Shi'ar Jashub and its meaning is important. Now, if you look at that verse 3, next to that name, Shi'ar Jashub, there's a tiny little footnote mark. Down the bottom of the page, it gives the meaning. The Hebrew mean the Shi'ar Jashub means. Now, what is it? It's interaction time. Come on, wake up. The remnant will return. Thank you, exactly. You see, names can have... Meaning if you meet someone called Frank, then it sort of could mean that they're going to be truthful to you. My wife is Janet. Janet means "beloved of God. This son's name is Shiar Jahur. The remnant will return. But this name is double-edged because it sounds good. People will return, but it's sad because only a remnant, only a small part, only a leftover piece is coming back and the rest of the people will be destroyed. So let's look at verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shia Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. So Isaiah goes out to King Ahaz who is checking the defences of the city of Jerusalem against siege and that's because Assyria is coming and he takes along his son. He's going to the king under threat of attack and he says, here's my son, a remnant will return. Imagine what irritation that poor boy causes every time his name is mentioned anywhere, especially around the king. Uh, I thought about it this afternoon. It's a little bit like Donald Trump having a son named Biden. Every time he calls him, hey, Biden, Trump, come Ah, What? It's just getting under his skin because the name here speaks of destruction where only a remnant will survive the disaster that is to come. And so Isaiah meets the king, King Ahaz, and he says, verse 4, be careful, keep calm. And don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Trust God is basically what he's saying. But Isaiah's son is a sign of the future. Only a remnant will be left. Not the nation, not the entire nation. Perhaps not even the king. Because kings often didn't survive things like this. Only a remnant will survive. The second son, the second name, is Emmanuel. And it brings us directly into the Christmas story. And we heard about it last week. Ben, our assistant minister, uh, a student minister, really helpfully unpacked it for a lot of it last week. So I'm not going to deal with it in detail, but just a few little things to notice. The second son is probably the king's son. We don't know for sure. But the child is given this amazing name in chapter 7, verse 14, which is up on the screen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign... The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. Now, that in a sense is reassuring, isn't it? God is going to be with you, God is with us. Emmanuel. It's reassuring until you actually start to really think about it. Think about who God is. The holy, the righteous God who, who cannot stand even a hint of sin. And he's going to be with us. It's a bit of a scary thought, really. This, this holy, pure, perfect God with us, amongst us. And here God gives Ahaz a choice choose, a sign, anything but Ahaz, I think, refuses in false piety. And so God says, like it or not, I'm going to give you this sign. I'm going to give you this son, this Emmanuel, a child. And before Emmanuel is old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, Assyria, the great ancient world kingdom, will come and destroy everything. So here is this child. God is with us. But as a sign of judgment, as a sign of the remnant will return, almost like the, the sign of, of, of serious problem, rather than a sign of salvation, which is not what you expect to hear at Christmas time, is it? And in manual, it comes up again in chapter eight, verse eight that Roz read for us. Therefore. The Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates. The king of Assyria with all his pomp will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is amongst us. God is visiting us. And again, in verse 10, where the word in Hebrew is again, Emmanuel, devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us, amongst us, because of Emmanuel. You see, it's a strange name, Emmanuel, because it's a symbol both of judgment and of salvation. So we come to the third son, the third name, and he's mentioned in chapter 8, verse 1. The Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen, Mahershalal Hashbaz. This is Isaiah's son. What a name to give him. Could you imagine going into the bank and telling someone that your name is Mahershalal Hashbaz? How many times would they say, can you please spell that again? I am so thankful my mum and dad gave me the name Ken. But its name means, and you'll see in the footnote quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. What a name to have when the nation is under threat of invasion. He's a walking signpost of judgment. And destruction, and every time he gives his name, the judgment of God is being declared once more, for the people will be destroyed. The floodwaters of the Assyrian conquest are going to come and wash away Syria and wash away Israel and will come right up to the neck of Judah and just leave a tiny little bit left, just Jerusalem, and they will recede, as his brother name said, because the remnant will remain. Assyria will not have the last word because Assyria's power cannot overcome God. But only a remnant will remain because the Assyrians are going to be quick to the plunder and swift to the spoil. They don't take prisoners in that sense. And Isaiah's listeners in 8.16 are told to bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction amongst my disciples. And they will stand as this sort of, this testimony that God has done all this. That God is in control, even though his people seem to be under the power of Assyria, to be overcome by Assyria. God will be in their midst like a huge rock. A rock, yes, that you can use for safety, but also a rock that people will not trust. You see verse 14. He will be a holy place. For both Israel and Judah will be a stone that causes people, he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall and for the people of Jerusalem he will be a trap and a snare. See, so they're going to stumble over it, they're going to fall because of it. And so the people facing war in their lostness won't turn to God, they turn, verse 19, to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter. They're the people of God. What are they doing? Don't go off to witchcraft Don't to find out what's happening. Listen to God. Surely that's what they should do, which is what he says in verse 19. Should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning? But the thing is that when they listen to God, when they listen to the testimony, what had God said? God had said... The remnant will return and swift to the plunder, uh, swift to the spoil. And I suspect that for most of us, if that's the message from God, then we'd go to fortune tellers to get some good news. The problem is that Emmanuel, God is with us, means that yes, there is hope, but yes, there is also judgment. Judgment. So, you see, the people of the north, he says, sit in the shadow of death and darkness. That's Israel, the people of the north. I've got a map up here. I've got to have a map, you know that. Now, there's Syria up in the north of Israel and the northern tribes of Israel up there are called Zebulun and Naphtali. And that's why he says it's the north. And it's in the north because, you see, above that, we do the next map, there. See where Assyria is? Assyria is even further to the north. Now Assyria is the great superpower of the time. They are the ones who are rampaging around the ancient world, conquering everywhere. They become this huge kingdom and even though Assyria sort of looks like it's in the east, the only way they can get there is from the north because to come directly sort of southwest, they'll have to walk through the desert. Nobody walks through the desert. So the invasion comes from the north and so they're sitting in the shadow of the darkness of Assyria ready to pounce. But then we see the fourth son, the wonderful counsellor. For the people sitting in darkness will see a great light. Verse Chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness... Have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You see, in the midst of this darkness, there is a light, a small light, at the end of a very dark tunnel. The light of the new day of victory and of peace, such complete peace. That you don't need any of the gear for war anymore. See verse five: every warrior's boot will be used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. Will be fuel for the fire. It's just not needed anymore. It's done away with. And that's his name. Well, this man, this one's name is much longer. It's way more significant than the others. See verse six: for a, to us a child is born. That's the bit we always hear in Christmas time. To us a son is given the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called, here's his name, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Because he's going to be the heir of the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Israel, the, the kingdom of God that will never end. A kingdom of righteousness and justice. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and of peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now, that was written, we're pretty sure, about 732 BC. And here we are, Christians in 2021, as members of that kingdom, that kingdom which goes out to the ends of the earth, and has now been operating for the last 2,000 years, and which will last forevermore, a kingdom that God and only God could bring about. No mere human king could do this. And so at the end of chapter 9, verse 7, it says, it's the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's God's desire, it's God's wish, it's God's plan, it's God's action to do all of this. So, what's in a name? When the fourth son comes, we see that Isaiah chapter 7 to 9, I think, can be understood in an easy way and a slightly more difficult way. Because he's pointing forward to a true son who is not to come for another 725 years. If you were standing in Israel, you weren't to think that far ahead. And so, once, in one way, it's quite easy to understand because. We can look and we can see that basically all happened in Isaiah's time. We know the history of this period and we know what happened. God used Assyria to destroy the coalition of Israel and Syria. The ten northern tribes of Israel were scattered, never to be seen again. Ancient Syria was defeated and destroyed and Assyria didn't stop at that point. Assyria continued on into Judah and destroyed the villages and the towns of Judah until only Jerusalem was left and the armies of Assyria, the armies of Sennacherib were camped around Jerusalem. This is a picture of the siege of Lachish which is just to the southwest of Bethlehem. And there is the king of Assyria with with the, the big mule is awful, should, it's worth looking at but I didn't want to show the images. They laid siege to Jerusalem in 700 BC and it was about to be destroyed and then all of a sudden for reasons that actually we don't know why, Sennacherib just turns and walks away. The, ki- the king of Assyria calls him back, went home. The great conquering empire, Assyria, left Jerusalem standing. The waters rose right up to the neck, but life continued. See, it's easy to understand because at one level this all happened to us. Of course, the kingdom didn't last forever. There's this unfinished peace still. You can see how they would say, well, in Judah, in Jerusalem, God was with us, God looked after us. And if it hadn't been God with them, then they would have been destroyed like every other city had been destroyed. So God was with them in salvation and in judgment. You see, having God with you is a double-edged sword and it's our problem with Christmas. People don't mind the idea of Emmanuel because God with us to them means a little baby in a in a manger. It's all very calm and, and a baby in the manger threatens nobody except mum's sleep, right? They're not thinking of the holy and righteous God who will be angry with our sinfulness, with our rebellion, with our turning away from him. I think You don't invite God to come into your home unless your home is absolutely spotless. And you know and I know that it's not. Imagine tonight you get home and there's, a, there's somebody waiting at your front door and says, are you fill-in name? Are you this person? You say, yes. They said, tomorrow Queen Elizabeth is coming to visit you. Now, apart from not believing it and thinking the person is absolutely crazy, if you could be convinced it was true, what would you spend the rest of the night doing? No matter how Republican you are, I guarantee you'll be cleaning. I guarantee you'll probably be cooking. You'll Guarantee that you will know that it's not, your house is not yet right for the Queen to walk into. You see, we know that unless, if our home is not spotless, then God will not, cannot come in unless God is the Saviour who is coming to save as well. You see, it's easy to understand this story because God was with them. Emmanuel, because the destruction was quick to plunder. Within just 20 years, the whole world fell under the influence of Assyria, except Jerusalem. And the remnant did return. Shead Jeshub. Though Assyria conquered everything, Jerusalem was still there. There was this little remnant. But it's also a little more difficult to understand because it's only when Jesus is born that you see the rest of it come true. That when, when we see the true Emmanuel arrive. The strange thing is though that in all of the, the records we have of uh, the Gospel accounts and through the rest of the New Testament, Jesus is only called Emmanuel once. His name will be Emmanuel but we, as we read in Matthew 1.20, we read it last week, it's the only time he's actually referred to as Emmanuel. God is truly with us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, for he was God, the Son, become human. But when God is with us, the very next thing that happens in Matthew's Gospel is judgment and suffering. Because what happens? You have the, uh, the massacre of the, of the infant boys in Bethlehem. The killing of the boys of Bethlehem was exactly what the paranoid Herod the Great was like, but it's also the nature of having God with us. For when God comes into the world, the conflict with evil reaches this crescendo. Jesus came preaching in Galilee, preaching those who are sitting in the darkness of Zebulun and Naphtali, but he is God's stone, he's God's chosen rock, the rock of salvation that the nation of Judah will stumble over, just as Isaiah prophesied. He came to free those living in the shadow of death, but the way he came to free those living through the shadow, uh, in the shadow of death was actually to experience the judgment of God himself in his own death. See, God is preparing us in Isaiah for the coming of Emmanuel. And if we do not read Isaiah, we do not understand that when Jesus is born, he's born not just to live, but to suffer and to die for us. That the kingdom that he brings would come through pain and opposition and the forces of evil trying to destroy everything. See, Christ's birth is actually all about his death pointing us forward to the moment on the cross when he conquered sin and defeated death. And it's only when we meet Jesus, risen from the dead, that we finally grasp his most wonderful name as wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, whose kingdom of justice and righteousness is the kingdom which knows no end see, the the name that Matthew gives him, he's called Emmanuel, but he's actually given another name. Matthew Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, up on the screen. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He's called Emmanuel, God with us, by Isaiah, but God says to name him Jesus, Joshua, Saviour. And it's because that he is that Saviour that we can invite him into our home, into our lives, dirty as they may be, with all the history of shame and failure and lies and deception, we can invite him in. Because although he is Emmanuel, God with us, the holy and righteous one, He actually comes as Jesus to save his people from their sins. Jesus comes in both judgment and salvation. You can't have one without the other. Though he comes not simply to judge, but to save. Because he comes to save by bearing that judgment himself. Dying for us in our place in order to bring us that salvation. So Isaiah 1 through 9 is God's preparation for Christmas. He gives us the clues. It gives us the ideas as to what would happen. When his son, Emmanuel, comes amongst us to save us, it would mean suffering. It would mean that evil would apparently win. It would mean the cross of Calvary. And in that judgment of God on sinfulness, the remnant will return and find forgiveness and find a new start, which is the great news of Christmas. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in all of history you have been preparing our our world to receive your Son for its judgement and salvation. Please open our hearts to the good news of great joy that is Jesus Christ born into our world to save all who believe by his death on the cross. Make us thankful and joyful for this wonderful gift that brings us life in abundance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.